talk to you about the responsibility that we have as Christians to do this, to take the message of the gospel out to everybody that's in the world. It's not just around us, it's everywhere. Now, we can't reach you know, into other places because we're limited by our uh, physicality, but truly we can reach those who are around us and that's what we want to do. I would ask the question, do you have friends, neighbors, or relatives, even strangers that you want to see in heaven? Do you? Do you have people that you know that you want to see in heaven? Well, then the next question I would ask is, do you know that God wants you to tell them the way in which they must go to get there? God has given us this glorious opportunity. I, I don't even like to use the word responsibility, but it is a responsibility that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. But it's a glorious opportunity. It's a privilege to share with others about eternal life in Jesus Christ. The message that God has given to us is clearly laid out for us in the scriptures. I'm going to go to one right now. Why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul does such a great job of explaining the gospel right here. That's, this is where I want to start because this is, this is what we have to share with others that are out there. <clears throat> he says in verse 1 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. For if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, and this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, that would be Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, they've died. And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So Paul makes it very succinct. He tells us what the gospel is, is that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead. And that that is the message that we have at hope, the message of hope that we have to share with others. Because he rose from the dead, he had victory over sin and death. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. And for all those who will receive, whoever will receive this gospel will be saved and their sins will be forgiven. And this is this glorious message that he has given to us, these earthen vessels. And he's put this glorious message in us that we can take it out to others and share it with them. But, you know, having said that, I, I understand how things work in our lives, right? Perhaps you feel that this is for others and not for you. There are many that feel like, oh, hey, that's for somebody else. I don't have the gift of evangelism. 
Well, there are those that specifically have that gift for evangelism that that they really do. You can see it, that God works through them supernaturally in that gift. Uh, uh, Billy Graham was one of those that you would be most familiar with. Greg Laurie might be another that you're familiar with, but there are those that truly have that gift. But what we see here in our passage this morning is that all of us have the call to be an evangelist, not that we necessarily have that gift to go out and do do these large assemblies of people and bring people to faith. But one-on-one -on -one evangelism is the call that every believer has. Everybody that knows Christ, God has called us to us. But in thinking in that, perhaps maybe you feel that you're unqualified. Or even you maybe you feel that you're disqualified. That you, you don't feel like you know enough about the word and you don't know enough about Jesus. Or you feel like the life that you live, that, you're, that you mess up so much and so often that, that God couldn't possibly use you. And we're going to talk about that in a minute as we look into the men that God chose to take out this message to the apostles. The truth is, is we're all qualified, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and his Holy Spirit. He has qualified us to do this. And he, he will make us put us in that position to where we can share the gospel. And I'll expound on that a little bit more. Maybe you have fear to share, the fear of rejection, fear that you won't know what to say. And maybe you have been convinced that people really don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. I hope this morning to answer your questions and misconceptions on this issue of evangelism. I'll start out, I'll point out, uh, point something out about myself first, just to let you know and understand that I struggle with those same things, the fear of rejection, the fear that I won't know what to say. I have, I have that, I'm intimidated by strangers. It's easy for me to get up in front of the church and to share the word and to speak these things. But I'm just like everybody else when I get in the presence of those that I don't know. I fear that they're going to reject me. I'm af afraid that they don't want to hear what I have to share. But I can tell you that I have come to know and to realize that those fears are not from the Lord, but they are from my flesh and the devil. Because my flesh doesn't like it and the devil doesn't want me to share the gospel with people. And the fact is, I've known it for a long time, but I'm just rediscovering it, if you will, that the truth is, is that people are hungry to hear the truth about God. And I think even more so today than, than what I have seen in a very, very long time. The whole chaos that's in the world and that we've been living through over the last couple of years with COVID and all these different things has worked within people's hearts that they're going, I need something. I need some security in my life. I need hope in my life. And beloved, we have this glorious message of hope to give to those who are in the world, to those that are hungering for it. I shared with you couple of, or last week when we had gone out witnessing at the mall, uh, approaching strangers to talk to them and to share the gospel with them. 
And we had, I think, the first two or three that we approached. They said, no, thank you. don't want to talk to you. But then we ended up with a guy that I felt was probably the most unlikely individual that we would be sharing the gospel with. We approached him, and he agreed to speak with us as we asked him questions about eternal life and heaven and all these things. He opened up, and we were able to share with him. And he was, he was a, obviously, if he wasn't a gangbanger now, he had been. Great big, large man. Uh, one that uh, would be somewhat intimidating, and especially when you think you're going to go and make him a little inconvenient with the things you're going to share with him. But to my delight, to my surprise, and I'm not sure why I was surprised, but he was so receptive to what we had to say that by the time that we got done, we found out that he was a backslidden Christian. He fell away from the Lord when he was 18 years old, had gone to prison, all these kind of stuff. And he realized he needed to get back to the truth of God and his word. We prayed with him. And this great big old dude reaches out and grabs me and gives me a big old hug. And it just, it just confirms, you know, in, in my heart that there are a lot of people who are out there that want to hear the truth about God and the hope that there is in Jesus Christ and we just need to be willing to step out in faith and to tell them. Asking God for the boldness, because believe me, it took a lot for me to get it out of my mouth initially to just approach him and to ask him if he wanted to take some time to speak with us. And I was so blessed. I was so blessed. This weekend I had another experience that was just so of the Lord and just in, in these things, God is just confirming in me the direction that he gave me at the end of the year last year that, that we needed to become that church that was focusing in on evangelism, that it was time. I was at an event this weekend and there were both believers and non-believers there and a couple of believers that I didn't know, we were getting to know one another, started asking me some questions, asked me about my testimony and I shared with them what God had done in my life, how I had been a drunk, how God delivered me from that, that he changed my life, that he radically changed my life. And in so doing, that it was a testimony to my parents. They both came to faith in Christ. And I'm giving you the shortened down version of the short version that I gave them for the sake of time. But what was happening is that there was this young man that was standing next to the woman and he was listening intently to what I was sharing about how God had changed my life, took me out of the lifestyle in which I was living, and he turned my life around, my family around. Everything in my life radically changed because of that faith in Jesus Christ and what he was gonna do in my life. This young man was listening to that testimony, and I walked away, and as I'm getting ready to leave, this wonderful sister comes out and she grabs me real quick. And she says, I think you just need to know what's happening right now. That young man that was standing next to me right now is talking to my husband and praying with him to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. You know, there's the whole thing. It's not about what we know, it's who we know. You know, I think about that when, when I first received Christ as my savior. I knew nothing 
except for this. I knew that Jesus Christ had forgiven me of my sins and that I had eternal life because I was trusting and putting my faith in him. That's all I knew. I didn't know any scripture. If somebody would have asked me some kind of doctrinal theological question, I would have had no answer for them whatsoever. That's all I knew. I knew I was once lost, but now I am found. I knew that I had the weight of the guilt of sin off of my shoulders. And that's all I had to share. And you know, I could not help myself but to share that with everybody that I encountered. And as a matter of fact, I looked for people that I could share that with. I would drive around back in the 70s. Everybody used to get around by hitchhiking, you know. It was still, you could still do that without fear of dying, you know, <laughs> unlike today. But anyways, I would drive around and try to find people that were trying to hitch a ride just so I could get them in my car so I had them as a captive audience and I could tell them about Jesus. I, I loved it. And I didn't know anything except for him and him crucified and resurrected from the dead. That's all I knew. It's funny, I think about that, that as I've grown in knowledge and studied the word of God, now I have a fear that I won't answer the way that I should. When I had no knowledge, I didn't care. I knew what answer, the answer was, and I just stepped out and I did it. And it's really funny how that knowledge sometimes can actually get in the way of the simplicity of sharing with others about the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And the devil uses it greatly just to you know, give us that fear so that we will be stuck in one spot and we won't step out and trust the Lord in order to share with people. That's on the stranger side, right? But what's the excuse when it comes to those that we know? Family, friends, neighbors, you know, that's, there, there are those acquaintances that we meet, encounters that God brings our way, kind of thing. But there are people that are in our lives regularly that we love and we care about. Do we love them enough that we tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father. Nobody goes to heaven except for through him. You can't do it by good works. You can't do it by trying to be a nice person because, I mean, the truth is none of us are nice people. We might be nice at times, but then there's times when we're not so nice, right? So we can't get there by being nice. We can't be the, get there by being good ourselves. The only way that we can get there is through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's the message that we have to share with everyone. Let's jump into verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here we see that, that Jesus is giving the marching orders. He's mobilizing the church to do what he wants us to do under his authority. This commission that follows is given in light of the authority of Jesus. And this indicates that this is an authoritative command, not a suggestion. It is the same idea as if an officer reminded a private of his rank before he gave the order. Because he, because he has this authority, he can send whomever he wills to do whatever he pleases. So Jesus, he tells the disciples 
look, this is, this is what you are to do. This is a command. And, you know, I, I always love it when you realize that when God says this, that it is with a measure of love that, that is unparalleled. You know, that when God says, I want you to go, that the response inside our hearts should be, Lord, me? You would choose me to do this for you? What a blessed privilege. He doesn't go, I command you, Bob. He presents the opportunity and he says, take it and go. It is a command in the Greek, but nonetheless, it is with the heart that says that he cares not only for us, but for others as well. Spurgeon had this to say, he said, power in the hands of some people is dangerous, but power in the hands of Christ is blessed. Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it, for he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. He goes on and he says, we believe in this power and we rest in it. And this power is, he, he says, we do not seek any other power. We defy every other power. And we know our powerlessness will not hinder the progress of his kingdom. We give all our power unto him. He gives us a command, but he also will empower us. As he says, go therefore, in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So here is the motivation. The motivation is to go and to make disciples, to, to go out and to share uh, the gospel with others. You see, when we get saved, it's really important and just so you know, saved means that you have committed your heart and your life to Christ. You're saved from the penalty of your sin when you do that. So we use that term, when you are saved, when you've been, you've been uh, forgiven and you no longer have to concern yourself with that. There are certain things that should be predominant within our life. And a lot of times, I think what happens in the church today is that we're really busy about making converts and we fail to, uh, to let them know when they've made that decision for Christ, there are things in their life that need to be in place. They need to become someone who prays. And I always like to say that to someone who accepts Christ, how do they do that? Well, they pray. They pray a prayer of faith. You know, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. You know, come into my heart take over my life. And it's just merely conversation with God. It's nothing, it's nothing religious or, you know, so eloquent uh, that you have to be because God understands foreign languages too, as well as our language, the one that we speak. And he wants to hear from those that commit their life to Christ, to pray. And then also communion. That's the celebration of what God has done in that Jesus died and rose from the, he died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead. And we celebrate that at the Lord's table when we gather together around it with the, the, uh, 
Well, we don't use wine. We use a non-alcoholic grape juice. So that's what we use. And then the matzah represents the body and the shed blood of Christ. And then fellowship. Fellowship is essential to healthy life, healthy spiritual life. We can't do with e without each other. It's impossible. If you, if you can, then there's something wrong with your relationship with Jesus. Jesus came and he died for the church and he wants us to be involved with the church. He wants us to be connected to an assembly of believers. Paul makes reference to this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says that we are all members of the body, each one being different parts but connected to the body for the benefit of the body. And so being connected to a local assembly, letting the gifts that God has given you to be used within that body. And then not only that too, that as we gather together, we encourage one another in the faith. So many times, you know, here's the thing. I don't just walk up to a stranger and ask them to pray for something that's really sensitive in my life. That's not gonna happen. But I have people in my life that I know that I love and I trust and I know that they love me that I can trust with such knowledge that when I have a need and maybe it's something personal, maybe it's something I'm struggling with, that I can go to them with confidence, that I can ask them to pray for me and they're going to pray and they're not going to gossip about me. But that's only built through relationships within the church. You're not going to get that without it. And then not only that, but Bible study. Bible study is so critical in our life. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to study the Word of God that you may know what God has to say concerning the things of life so that we have something to offer to somebody. If we don't offer people the Bible, all you're offering is your opinion. And guess what? Opinions are something that everybody has. And so what makes my opinion better than yours? Nothing necessarily. But when God's opinion is expressed through his word of God, through the word of God, through the Bible, then that, that's all that matters, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter what I think or how I feel, you know. It doesn't matter what, how I try to rationalize it. If God says something in his word, I accept that and apply that into my life. It's called having a biblical worldview. And that's what God wants for every person who knows his son. And then the last thing, and this is so critical, is sharing your faith. Sharing what, what God has done in you. Like I said, when I, when I first got saved, when I first received Christ, I could not help myself. The first thing I did, some of you know that my testimony and you know that Barbara and I were separated. I got saved and the first thing I did is I went back home to her. The second thing I did was call a friend of mine. You know, it was for the, the big $1 million prize, phone a friend, right? No, not really. It was somebody that loved me and had been praying for me, and I just had to call him and share with him what I had done. And what that did is it gave me confidence to, to be bold in my, my declaration 
of what God had done. You know, it's easy when you have a friend you know that loves you and you share with them and they get excited with you about that decision you make. Well, that bolsters your confidence to share that with others, even though, even though that you don't know. Sharing our faith is, is really, it's not optional, it's required of us. And if we've truly come into that knowledge of Christ, why wouldn't we share that with others? Unless we don't love them as much as we thought that we, or we say that we do. Because if I love someone, I'm gonna be concerned about where they're gonna spend eternity. And I'm gonna do everything that I can to get the opportunity to share with them that hope. Like I said, this go, therefore, is a command. Because Jesus has this authority, we are therefore commanded to go. It is his authority that sends us, his authority that guides us, his authority that empowers us. His work and message would continue to the world through his disciples, and he continues even to this day. It says to go, and to be honest with you, we recognize that the time is right. I like, love the way that one brother says it, you know, in that video. He said, if you can't see that, there's something wrong. And that was made in 2020. It's been two years. And uh, what I love about this is that it's something that has been growing. And it really is. I mean, I don't know how many they've reached now, but I'm sure they've reached that goal of 20 million uh, in the United States. But there's a whole lot more millions that need to be reached even still. And it is growing, and, uh, and it's wonderful to see what's happening. But this is what Jesus said in John 4, 35. He says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. He goes on to say, he says, you see that? He says, now pray that the Lord will raise up the workers of the harvest. I believe it's harvest time. I believe that the fields are white and ready. The only thing that's lacking is our willingness to participate to what God wants to do. I come from that vantage point of coming through the Jesus movement. I know a lot of you have seen the film uh, that's out there right now. What is it? Jesus what? Jesus Revolution. And, uh, you know, it is about that time period in which I, I got saved. And boy, the, the fields were white for harvest. And I could see that. And one of the things that, that I have prayed about for a long time is, Lord, I don't understand. During those days, I mean to tell you, everybody wanted to hear the truth about Jesus. Or at least it seemed like everybody did. Very rarely did I ever get rejected when I shared the gospel. But occasionally, Lord, what's wrong? Why? Why wasn't, why isn't it happening again today? But what I'm encouraged by what I see is that it seems that God is moving, that he's doing a work once again, that the fields are becoming white for harvest, and it's time for us to pray for the workers of the harvest. And when I say that, <clears throat> I, I realize that there are some that have physical limitations. They can't go out and share the gospel. But one thing we all can do is to pray. And that's a very important thing. And I would encourage you to be praying about what we're doing right now with this outreach that we're going to be doing. Pray for the workers of the harvest, whether you're one that goes out or not. Pray 
Because unless it is saturated by prayer, it will not have the effect that we're looking for. It must be a work of God. And I believe that God is working. I believe that he's doing something. And I'll tell you what, I enjoy the fact that I was a part of that movement in the 70s. And I'll tell you another thing, I don't wanna miss out on something he's doing right now either. I'm not gonna live in my past. I mean, those days were great, but I think there's a, a greater day even still ahead. I believe that God's doing a work and that he wants to do a work. I believe he's returning soon. And I believe that he's trying to gather in all of that low hanging fruit that he can get before the tribulation comes. And he wants us to be a part of it. And this is the, the thing, it's just like, it's so exciting. To, to be able to share with others about Jesus and to see them receive that truth. Even when, I, I just love it, was sharing with this young man indirectly. And not, I'm not even aware of really what's going on. I'm assuming as he's connected with this dear sister and her husband is that he already knew Christ. I had no idea that he didn't know Christ. And he's listening to what's being said and I didn't preach a sermon. That would take way too long. That would take at least an hour and I couldn't do that. But indirectly, as he's listening to the work of God in my life, it impacted his heart. And that's what God does. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that. It's such a privilege. You see, we, by the fact that Jesus says to go, we recognize this, that we are qualified. Jesus said, go to some very imperfect, this is another quote by Spurgeon, imperfect disciples. He said, who is to go out of that first band of disciples? It is Peter, the rash and the headstrong. It is John who sometimes wishes to call fire from heaven to destroy men. It is Philip with whom the savior has been so long and yet he has not known him. It is Thomas who must put his finger into the print of the, of the nails, or he will not believe. Yet the master says to them, go ye, all power is given unto me, therefore go ye, you are as good for my purpose as anybody else would be. There is no power in you, I know, but then all power is in me, therefore go ye. A lot of times we may look at the apostles and think, oh man, they were such giants, you know, in the world of, of the church, you know, they were just, oh, magnificent men. You know what? They were a bunch of blowits, just like you, just like me, right? God's still using imperfect vessels to proclaim a very perfect message. And he did it through them and he turned the world right side up. and. I think we would all agree our world is upside down right now. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of fear. And God has given us a message that will help turn that world right side up to take it from sorrow and sadness to joy and gladness. That's the message that we have to give to others. And he wants to use all of us. We are all qualified for no other reason except for Jesus says, I qualify you. I qualify you. He will equip us 
to do what he wants us to do. In Matthew 4, 19, he said, he said, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's real simple. Follow Jesus and he will make you fishers of men. You know, we might think about, well, I got to do this and I got to do that or whatever it may be. But it is simply following Jesus. Follow him and he will make you a fisher of men. I testified that that's the truth. When I got saved, all I was doing was following him and he immediately made me a fisher of men because he desires to use us to proclaim this glorious message. He qualifies the called and he has called every person who comes to faith to be those that would share with one another the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about evangelism, but the end goal is to make disciples. That's what it declares here. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the, that's the end go, goal. But the whole thing of it is, you can't become a disciple unless you become a believer. So we have to reach out to share with others that they can come and be a believer, then to become a disciple of Christ. This is what he desires for all who would call upon his name. It's not merely to make converts, those who say yes to the, the appeal for forgiveness to sins, but, but from there they must grow in faith. And through those things I talked about early, prayer, fellowship, study of God's word, sharing the hope that we have now with others, you know, communion, all these things all work in conjunction together to make the whole. And we learn as we study the Bible, you know, that's why we gather together here at the church is to go through the word of God. What does God's word say to you and I, you know, and that's why Typically, I mean, this is so unusual for me. I bet you I haven't preached maybe seven topical sermons like this in the whole 17 years that I've been pastoring this church, maybe eight. I'm usually beginning in the beginning of a book and working my way through that way, that way we get the full counsel of the Lord, not just cherry picking here and there, the things, because there's a lot of things that I have to address when we begin at the beginning of a book and our, we work our way through it. Sometimes there are things that are in there that I'd just as soon not, not teach. They're difficult, uncomfortable, you know, and, and so I just as soon not, but you know, I'm committed to teaching through the Bible like that. That way, when I come to them, then I'm forced to teach the truth about what God says in all of his word, not just the things that I like or don't like. There are many that teach that way uh, through the Bible, but there are also many that don't. And oftentimes they, re they avoid issues like hell, uh, especially today avoid issues of homosexuality, all the things that are going on in our world today, uh, they try to avoid those because they're offensive. You know, we don't want to offend people. Well, they're only offensive because it's the truth and God says that he doesn't approve of those things. And so we might try to avoid those things and we will if, we, if we're not teaching all the way through. So anyways, my point being, this is a topical today about um, you know, evangelism but with it, it, we have to cover that topic as well of discipleship.
It's important because if people don't come to faith and then grow, then the church will not continue. It's so critical to what God wants to do. He says, we also take note of this, make disciples reminds us that disciples are made. Disciples are not spontaneously cre created at conversion. They are the product of a process involving other believers. This making of disciples is the power of spreading Christianity. As we grow, so will our, the spreading of Christianity as well. It's how, like I said, it's how God turned the world right side up through 11 men who just went out throughout the world and they preached the gospel and many people came to faith because of their preaching and their teaching. Many churches established all around the world. Take the gospel to all the nations here, he says. There is no place on earth where the gospel of Jesus should not be preached and where disciples should not be made. Everywhere. It's kind of interesting as, as you look uh, how the church has worked throughout the last two millennial, millennium, you see how it started in the Middle East and it worked its way through Europe and continuing around the world and the globe. And right now, some of the greatest movements are on the eastern side of the world, making its way back to Jerusalem. I find that really intriguing and very interesting and wonder if it's not just another indication that we're in that time period where uh, it's coming close to being the end because the gospel is making its way around the world and it's getting into nations that, that are absolutely impossible to get into, into Muslim nations, Iraq and Iran, where it costs you your life if you accept Christ as your savior. Oftentimes, they die for their faith. And if it doesn't cost you your life, it'll make your life miserable, that's for sure. You will be, you know, shunned by all of the community and everybody else. Your life will be very hard. But yet, in Iran, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Even though it's a forbidden message. And I see it as the power of God making its way around and it's coming back to Jerusalem. Perhaps that's an indication to us that when it gets that far, it will be that the Lord will come. Now, I'm not saying he's coming when that happens. So don't, don't misunderstand it. I'm not predicting the return of the Lord, okay? Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here is the momentum. Here we, we have it being pushed out and Jesus is saying, hey, I am with you. Observe these things. I am with you. Go and I am with you. Disciples are made through teaching. This teaching is not with words only, but with the power of the always present Jesus. He will be present with his people until the job of making disciples is done, until the end of the age, whenever that time comes. The content of the teaching must be all things that I have commanded you. The followers of Jesus are responsible to present the whole counsel of God to those who are made disciples. The promise that he gives here is very simple. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Jesus sent his disciples with a mission to fulfill, but he did not send them alone. The promise of his constant presence was more than enough to strengthen and guide the disciples as they obey Jesus in the making in making disciples of all nations. D.A. Carson had this to say about this. He said, the promise of his presence is complete. The English verb always renders an expression found in the New Testament only here, strictly the whole of every day. Not just the horizon is in view, but each day as we live it. It is interesting to me how Jesus promises that that he will always be there with us as we're doing this and when you contemplate that what is it that we have to fear what do we have to fear you know the, the truth is is that we have nothing to fear for if God before you who can be against you none no one is greater than God we have nothing to fear and, and fear is something that we, we have to place in front of the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be what you have called me to be. His presence means privilege. Because we work with a great king, Paul understood this principle well in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, where he wrote, For we are God's fellow workers, and since Jesus promised, I am with you always, then we will work together with him in all our service. We certainly work for Jesus, but more than that, we work with Jesus. His presence means protection because we are never out of his sight or supervision. His presence means power because we are fulfilled, because we fulfill this great commandment and we work in his name. His presence means peace because it always reminds us that the church belongs to Jesus. It is his church and his work. How then can we worry about anything? You know, I'm mindful of uh, the book of Acts after Jesus had ascended to heaven, you had these men who were before Jesus' resurrection, before witnessing him, before they themselves uh, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, before them receiving salvation from Christ, they were a bunch of cowards. They ran and they hid when Jesus was being whipped and beaten and tried and crucified. And when he was put in the grave, they were, they were in a house shaking with fear. Afraid that they would be found out, that they would be next. They would be the ones put to death. But when you get to Acts chapter 2, after they had seen the risen Lord, and after they had been endowed with the Holy Spirit, it tells us that they were bold in their faith. Even to the point that Peter and John go into the temple and they begin to preach the gospel. And under threat of imprisonment, they still refused to stop preaching the gospel. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't figure out what to do with them because it was obvious that, it was God with, that God was with them by the miracles that they had done. What they determined to do is to beat them and to turn them loose and tell them to forbid them from preaching. And they went back to the other disciples and they praised God that they were considered worthy to be beaten for their faith. Oh God, give us a heart like that. 
No fear, but only concern for others. Because if we have that concern, then fear can be stepped aside when we genuinely are concerned about others. Now look, and I don't think you're going to all go out and be uh, super evangelists this next week, but if you want to uh, make me a liar, go ahead. I, I welcome it. Go out. Share your faith. See what God will do. But maybe it is that you just, you need to take that initial step. Oh Lord, I am just so afraid that I really, I can't do it. Lord, give me the boldness. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to step out in faith, to share with somebody that I know and that I love. Start with something easy. You know, if you want to go out on the street and start preaching the gospel to people you don't know, hallelujah. But I don't imagine that everybody's going to do that. But you can begin to pray with those who are close to you. You can pray for them and begin to share with them. We have his promise of his presence always being with us. And here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you have never made a commitment to Jesus, yeah, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Like I said, the first thing that has to happen, we have to come to a place where we actually believe the truth of the gospel. You can't be a disciple before that because if you try to become a disciple and you think, well, I'll just clean my life up by doing all the things that the Bible says, then it's not really going to work for you. You might have a little better life, but it's not going to bring you any closer to salvation. It becomes your own works of righteousness, trying to do what is right. I, I understand that. I definitely can fall into that category. But the truth is, is that Jesus has done it all. There's nothing for you to work for. All you have to do is trust, place your faith and hope in him, and he will forgive you of your sins and that he will save you. You will have the promise of eternal life. And if you've never done that this morning, that's the first step that you need to do. And I, I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to make that decision today for him. But I also would say this. If you've been reluctant, those of you who do know Christ, to share your faith with others, I pray that you will step out in faith and trust Jesus to use you and share uh, and you will share with someone this week. I hope that, that, uh, that you will come and help us with the bag stuffing as well this next Saturday. But beyond that, to go out with us to distribute those bags. Doing that is really, it's a good icebreaker. It's easier because you're going out with others. And, and typically when we would send someone out, we always send them out at least in twos. But the truth is, is when you go out with a group, boy, it gives confidence and it's easier. And so we're partially doing this uh, to, in, to help encourage you and to give you that, that willingness to say, oh man, I'm a little scared, but if others are doing it, I can do it too. That's what we want. And believe me, we're, this is just the beginning. We got some other things in the hopper that's gonna be, we're gonna have a 12 week um, teaching 
of an evangelism program on how to evangelize people, how to walk up to a stranger and have a conversation and lead them to Christ. And you might go, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, guess what? It's just as valuable of a tool with those that you know as it is with those that you don't know. So I'd encourage you all to come out and to learn because it will help you in your endeavor to share with those that you love and care. We want to remember that God wants to mobilize us. He wants to motivate us. He mobilizes us. He says, go. He motivates us when he says, reach those who do not know me. And then he gives us that momentum as we work together for the propagating of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. And Lord, I in particular thank you for this great gift and privilege that you give to us. Lord, this wonderful opportunity to share others with you. Excite us all with that, I pray, Lord. Help us to be bold. Lord, remove the fears, the excuses, whatever we may have. I pray, God, that you would do this for all of us. Lord, we just love you so much and we thank you, uh, Lord, for what you're going to do in our midst with our church. We pray for our community. We pray, Lord, we know that the, the fields are white for harvest. Pray, Lord, that you would raise up the workers of the harvest. And Lord, as we will sing, Lord, send me, send me. Let that be the prayer of our heart. But as we're praying, I would ask and offer that opportunity. If there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, but the Spirit of God has touched your heart and you know that you need to receive Christ into your heart, to ask him for forgiveness, to let his Holy Spirit come and that you surrender your life to him. And if that's you, that God has spoken to you and that's what you want, would you please raise your hand that I can share with, uh, pray with you to receive Jesus Christ as your savior? Anybody at all this morning? Anybody at all? All right. One more time, if that's you. Raise your hand. All right. So, Father, we thank you for this day and all that you're doing. In Jesus' name. Would you all stand, please?